This is not a Mother's Day message, so guys, wake up. This is for everyone. We're just a couple of, you get a two-for-one special today, uh, but it is for everyone, and I know that God has got something for each of you, so um, I'm excited. We've been praying all week for you guys. Uh, although it is Mother's Day, and on Mother's Day, we remember our moms just like Jamie did in his prayer to his mom a moment ago. For me, uh, I, my mom is died a few years back, and I have a ring that I wear um, that I had made from some of her jewelry, and it is like a living memorial to my mom. I look at it, and I think about her, and I smile, and I remember all the memories that I had. But we have memorials and remembrances everywhere, not just days. We have monuments, we have museums and historical markers. One of which you might re be familiar with is the 9-11 memorial. And if you haven't been privileged to go there, I would highly recommend it. It's powerful, powerful. You walk through and there are signs like, we will never forget, remember to remember gone but not forgotten and you just get chills walking up and down and thinking about the sacrifices that were made that day and you go outside and there's this beautiful fountain that has every name of every victim on that day it's important for us to remember to remember yeah and I would say that that desire to remember is something that's really inborn in us uh, and it's not a modern phenomenon. In fact, the ancient Israelites had their own way of remembering. And they didn't have fancy building materials, but what they did have were rocks. They had stones. And what they would do is they would take these stones, and they called them eben, and whenever they would see God's provision in their life, God show up in some extraordinary way, they would take these eben and they would stack them into what's called a masaba. Now, if the term Masaba sounds familiar to you, we have our camp coming up next week for third to sixth graders called Masaba. And it's just this beautiful term because Masaba comes from um, this terminology to set up. And essentially what a Masaba is, is a visual representation of God's faithfulness. And we see these Masabas all over in the Old Testament. And we're going to explore a couple of those today. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is in Genesis. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Genesis 28. Genesis is the first uh, book in your Bible, so you can go ahead and get there. We are going to be moving around a little bit, but we're going to start in Genesis 28. And Genesis 28 is right uh, in the middle of the narrative of Jacob. Now, Jacob is one of my favorite people to study in the Bible because at the end of his life, he refers to his life as a pilgrimage. And this is such a great term for Jacob because Jacob makes a lot of missteps along the way. In fact, he's known in some cases as being a deceiver. And what we see in Genesis 28 is the aftermath of his probably most famous deception, which is when he tricked his father Isaac into stealing his brother Esau's blessing. And so Esau, his big brute of a brother, is literally going to kill him. And so Jacob is fleeing to his uncle's house hundreds of miles away. What Jacob does, he, he, he gets to this town called Luz, and he rests for the night. And he takes a stone, an ebon, he puts it under his head as a pillow, which seems a bit of a questionable choice. But that night, he has a dream. And that dream is really an encounter with God. 
And in this dream, God promises to bless all the people of the world through Jacob and Jacob's line, which must have been shocking to Jacob because Jacob at this point didn't have a family. He didn't have any, have any kids. But God promises um, to bless people through Jacob. And what I love, if you look at Genesis 28, 15, God goes beyond promising to bless other people through Jacob. Listen to what he says in Genesis 28, 15. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until what I, I have done what I have promised you. See, God promises to personally provide for Jacob no matter where he goes. It's a beautiful promise. And so in the morning, when Jacob wakes up, skipping ahead to verse 18, this is what happens. It says, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone, the ebon, that was near his head and set it up as a marker. And the word for that is masaba. And so I just imagine as Jacob is setting up this masaba, all that it represented for him. It was a visual representation of God's intervention in his life. It represented the covenant that God was promising to establish through him. And it represented a personal promise that God was making to provide for Jacob. And Masabal is not the only word, not the only monument that we find. If you flip over to the right to the book of 1 Samuel, a lot has happened since then. If you remember, um, the Israelites were um, exiled from the reign of King Pharaoh by the leadership of Moses, and they were into the promised land, enjoying the promised land. But, you know, they went back and forth, didn't they? They got it right, and then they got it wrong, and they got it right. And fast forward to the, the times of the kings and the judges, which is where we find Samuel in First Samuel chapter 7. It says that by 20 years had gone by since they had received the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God. It was sitting around for 20 years. I can't even wrap my head around that. But not only was it sitting around, but they were worshiping idols. They had exchanged their worship with God for worship of idols. And Samuel says, you have to, and, but they're fearing the Philistines, that they're going to come and invade them. And Samuel says, then you need to get back to worshiping God. And he says to them, dedicate yourselves to the Lord, worship him, then he will rescue you. So they begin to fast and they begin to pray. And the Philistines heard about it and they started to charge on them. And they got scared again and saying, Samuel, what do we do? They're coming. And he said, we need to fast. We need to pray. We need to worship. And as they were worshiping, the Philistines retreated. And they were able to go and get them and be victorious because of God's presence and their obedience to giving up their idols. Worship is powerful, people. Worship is powerful. And then in 1 Samuel 7, 12, it says this. Samuel took a stone and he set it upright between Mezpah and, and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, explaining that the Lord has helped us to this point. Remember, Amanda said Eben means stone. When Ebenezer means stone of help. 
From now on, every time they went to that place, they remembered the story or somebody around them remembered the story who told them they were remembering to remember. This idea of monuments, um, instruments of remembrance, it's a powerful thing. And we want to talk to you about this morning, Ebenezer living. We're going to talk a little bit about the how before we talk about the why. But if you're taking notes, this would be a great place to start. It should also be if you're using the Bible app, it's already there and you can even make some notes beside it. But the first way that we want, when we are going to live this Ebenezer life that, that will strengthen our faith, Okay, and give us perspective. It's not just living an Ebenezer life for the heck of it. It is so we can strengthen our faith and perspective. So what do we do? The first thing we do is we raise an Ebenezer. We mark God's faithfulness. It's so important for us to remember, to remember, because God's past faithfulness will ground us for his future faithfulness. I wrote that in there, so I want you to think about that. God's past faithfulness grounds us for our future faithfulness. When we're feeling all tossed about, that's what grounds us. And about a year and a half ago, um, Jordan Mark introduced me to a song by Chris Renzema called Just As Good. It just broke me. And the bridge of the song says, and I will build an altar. I'll stack it stone by stone. Because every Ebenezer points to where... My faith will surely falter, but that doesn't mean anything. Because every Ebenezer points to where my help comes from. That just was out of this idea of why don't I live an Ebenezer life? Why don't I live like that? Well, what I did, it was during the time of Lent, and I... um, I'm a tangible, visual learner, so I got myself a jar. This is actually bigger than the first one I started with. And every day of Lent last year, I wrote on a stone, I raised an Ebenezer, something that I was thankful for, and I put it in the jar. This isn't all of them, by the way. Um, Some of them are bigger than others. And I just said, God, I'm going to raise an Ebenezer every day of Lent. And I wanted us to do a little bit of that this morning. We decided... To not um, ask Mark Rayburn to give us, you know, big old rocks up here. I let Amazon help us figure this um, set out. And as we stack stones in our life, it's important to remember to remember. And for me, part of remembering that is that God has blessed me with a family. You see... Greg and I had struggles with infertility for years and years. Doctor's appointments, surgeries, medicine that made me crazy. Um, I watched friends have, one friend have three babies while I was trying to get pregnant. And God blessed us with a family. And this is an Ebenezer that I will always look back to for God's faithfulness. He did it through through natural children. He could have done it through fostering or through adopting. But God came through and he testified to everybody that was praying for me. And I go back to this Ebenezer and say, God provided. What about you? Yeah, you know, the first um, the first thing that came to mind is this idea of community. I, uh, I moved around a lot as a kid and um, just always wanted to find my place and find my community. And so my big prayer for so long was, God, give me a community. And I see the way that God has not just given me a community, but has blessed my husband, has blessed my kids with a community 
um, here at High Point, and I am so grateful for the ways that he has blessed me with community. Another way that comes to mind is ministry. You know, when I was uh, younger, I was 100% sure I was going to be a marine biologist, and I even went to school to study marine biology. And I just look back at all of these different intersections in my life when I wasn't even aware that I should be praying for God's guidance, but I still see the ways that God has intervened and shaped my interests and my passions and my experiences to the point where I'm able to be up here speaking and using my teaching in this way. And God has been also so faithful because if you knew me as a kid, I was like the shyest kid ever. And in fact, when I started teaching, I had to wear turtlenecks because I would get really red and blotchy. Um, And so the fact that I am up here now is such a testament to to God showing up and, and providing strength. In that. Oh, and I feel I feel like we need to ship these because the people on the side can't see our Ebenezer's here. This is important. Um, one other one for myself and Greg is that God has provided for us financially over and over and over and over again when we didn't deserve it, when we misplanned. I mean, over if I could stack just stones for financial provision, it would it go all the way to the parking lot, and I have to come back and visit these Ebenezers. So I'm wondering for you, as as you're sitting in there and you're thinking about the ways that God has provided, you know, what what comes to mind for you? And if that's a hard question to answer, I don't think that you're alone in that. Because I think that we live in a culture that doesn't do Ebenezer living very well. I don't think we're used to thinking about the way that other people and the way that God has shown up in our lives. And I don't think we take a lot of time in our culture either to reflect on those things. And so in order to mark God's faithfulness, we also need to cultivate an Ebenezer mindset. I think there's three main ways that we need to do that. And the first is that we need to seek, we need to pursue God. Because if we're not in God's presence, if we're not um, aware of God in our lives, how are we going to see the ways that he is building our Ebenezer's? And I think, you know, pursuing God's presence, certainly, you know, we can think about that in like a devotional time in, you know, in the morning or our our quiet time. Um, But I think that it's also really important to think about how we can pursue God's presence throughout the day. We live in a really, really busy culture. And I think our culture has really emphasized the word efficiency. There's nothing bad about efficiency, but... It comes with a cost. I think there's a little bit of an illusion with efficiency. You know, we have this technology that can take something that used to take an hour, and it only takes us 10 minutes. And we think, if I can just get things done faster, if I can multitask, if I can be quick, then it's going to free up this magical amount of space at the end of the day for me to be present. And for some of you, that, that may be the case. I'm just here to say that I don't do that very well. Because what I end up doing is I get through my tasks faster, and I end up just filling my day with more tasks. And, you know, I think about, you know, today, if we were to count the number of tasks that we do in any given day and compare that to 100 years ago, 200 years ago, I would imagine that we do exponentially more today. Here's an example. If, if you're thinking about the grocery store, and I'm a grocery pickup person now. I discovered that during COVID, and I never went back. My husband, on the other hand, loves the grocery store. He says he finds it relaxing. I don't know. 
But let's say that you are, you know, ready to check out, self-checkout is closed, and so you know, obviously, you're going to choose the shortest line, and you get in line, and you realize, oh, this is going to be at least five minutes. Now, some of you do this much better than me. I am terrible, because I just think to myself, okay, five minutes, what can I do in five minutes? Oh, I need to order that teacher appreciation gift. So I get out my phone, go to Amazon, order the gift, um, you know, oh, I, I need to text my mom, and... You know, I, I pile on these tasks so that what was supposed to be this one task of buying groceries has suddenly become four. And that might seem innocuous, but I just wonder what we lose throughout the day when we are trying to be efficient. What if I, on purpose, chose the slowest line and I just used that time to be present with the people around me and to be present with God? And to reflect on what is it that God is doing in my life. Like, what would that look like to be more present with God throughout the day? And a verse, and I know many of you have probably heard this, this verse, but Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. What might it look like for me to choose stillness so I can think about the Ebenezer's God is building in my life? Yeah, that staying in the slow line. How many of you have a, how many of you multitask in the line? We're in that efficiency, and who knows what God might have for us in that line. The person that he might want us to talk to, or the person that just needs a smile or some sort of interaction. So we absolutely need to be aware of God's presence. Also to develop this mindset of Ebenezer, we need to grow in gratitude. And the reason we need to do that is because raising Ebenezer's is all about being thankful. And we need to do that not just during Lent and not just during Thanksgiving, but we need to have this attitude of gratitude. And the great thing about God is that he made gratitude good for our health. Did you know that? Literally, expressing gratitude increases dopamine hits. You know what those are, right? That's that reward neurotransmitter in your, let's squirt in your brain. Isn't it just like God to make it good for us? It makes us think better. I've heard it makes us sleep better. Jury's out on that for me. But it is... Ebenezer living is about gratitude living. And if we're grateful people, then we're Ebenezer raising people. You have a stone in your chair. Maybe you're sitting on it, if you are. Pull it out. Um, get it out. And we wanted you to think today about what you have to be grateful for. What, what is your Ebenezer this morning? It may have just been... The sun is shining today. Thank you, God, that we're getting into summer. It could be something major that has happened this week. But we, we want you to just hold that and be thinking, what is it that I can rave an Ebenezer for? And I know in a room this size that there is somebody here that is like, Melinda, I can't think of one single thing. I'm grieving. I'm hurting it's Mother's Day and my kids haven't called me. All, all the things. But as Christ followers, depending on where you are with that, whether you're just checking God out right now or you've been walking with him a long time, we have the Ebenezer of the cross. The God of the universe sent his only son to go to the cross to pay the price for you and I. Not only to give us eternal life after this earth, but to have it here, starting now. If that's not an Ebenezer, I don't know what is. We need to thank God and have this attitude of gratitude. 
And in light of such a beautiful gift, the gift of the cross, I think the third thing we need to do daily is seek surrender. If we're not surrendering to God, you know, it's easy for us to not see the ways that God is answering our cries for help. You know, in talking to to friends, I, I, I see this trend sometimes where people will say that sometimes the lowest points are the points that they feel just closest to God because it's at those moments, and I've had one recently where you just throw up your hands and say, God, I cannot do anything about this situation on my own. Like, I I need you. I am desperate for you to do something. And as painful as those those end-of-the-rope moments are, I think they're also really healthy because they remind us of the reality that is all the time. That is, we need to be desperate for God. We need him to show up in our lives every day. And what I have been um, really thinking about is how can I get to that point of just desperate surrender to God earlier? Like, what might it look like for every day for me to wake up in the morning and before I reach for my phone or grab my cup of coffee to to think, God, I need you today. I'm desperate for you. I surrender this day to you. We need to mark God's faithfulness with our Ebenezer's. And we also need to cultivate that mindset of an Ebenezer like we were talking about. But there's something that often gets away in the way, and it's this other altar. Often what happens is instead of building an Ebenezer, we get weighed down by another altar. And so to, to build an Ebenezer lifestyle, we have to refuse to build another altar. And this is what I mean by that. The, the, the altar of circumstances that seem immovable, like grief, loss, the, the transition in life that feels like this is never, ever going to be the same. No way God can do anything about that. Things like financial crisis. You've been there maybe where the, the bills and, and the income and you say, no way. There's no way. This is immovable. And we get sucked in to this altar. We also get sucked into relational things. I don't know anybody here have challenges in your marriage, in parenting, friendships, coworkers, relationships that weigh you down. And you think, God, sorry, but that isn't going anywhere. And we get drawn to this side. We also have medical things that can come up, whether it's yourself or somebody that you love. And it, I've, I've been there. I am there. It feels immovable. The pain, the cost, the cost of what it is for my family. And I tell you, I can stand there and say, God, how are you going to move that? And I stop looking over there and I get sucked into this side. And this stops us in our Ebenezer tracks. Like, we can't build those when we're here. Do you feel the tension? Like, I even feel myself drawn to this side of the stage because we are drawn to things that seem concrete, that seem overwhelming to us, and there's a reason. It's because we have an enemy. We have an enemy in Satan that wants us to be consumed by these circumstances. He wants us to stay focused over here. And he has a bunch of schemes that he uses to get us to stay focused on how consuming these uh, circumstances can be. 
And we need to be aware of Satan's schemes. And I'm just going to name a couple that come to mind. I mean, one is doubt. You know, he wants to try to get us to wonder, is God strong enough to do anything about my circumstances? Or does God love me enough to do anything about my circumstances? Or maybe, maybe it's shame. Maybe there's a feeling of, you know, I have made a mess and now I'm just stuck with it. But our God is strong enough. Our God does love us enough. And our God never wants us to feel stuck in shame. Satan also has schemes that try to get us to ignore the Ebenezers that are right in front of us. We've talked about one already, it's busyness. Dallas Willard says that um, hurry is the spiritual enemy of our day. And I unpack that sentence over and over like with whole other, layer, like whole other layers because hurry ultimately distracts us from the beautiful ways that God is providing that are right in front of our face. I also wonder about comparison. You know, we look over and we see the way that God might be working in someone else's life and oof, maybe our Ebenezers don't seem so big. Or pride. Maybe I do see my Ebenezer, but instead of seeing what God has done, I start thinking of all the things that I have done. And pride ultimately robs us from the opportunity to see how much God loves us and is wanting to intervene in our lives. So we have to acknowledge, we have to acknowledge those schemes, right? But we also, to do that, we have to guard our mind. Because in this talk that you were discussing, that's self-talk in our brain. It's telling us is what, is what leans us to pride or leans us to other things is we have to guard our mind. This is the epicenter of this battle, okay? It's right here. It's our thought. It's what we keep, keep hitting replay on. It it's begins with our thought life. Toxic thoughts, emotions, um, being drawn to a circumstance, it means that we're, we're leaking somewhere in what our belief is about God. Because our thoughts are not based on truth. They're based on emotion and our own logical reason. I have logic with God of how this or this or this isn't going to happen. Because in my mind, I factor God out of it. So I'm leaking truth in that moment. God's word is full of the promises. This is where our mind needs to be. Right here. Right here. Um, Jen Wilkins says, the Bible is our great Ebenezer. I love that. It's because it's a memorial stone to God's faithfulness. It's the story of his faithfulness, carefully recorded for us. So there's no excuses for a lack of Ebenezer living because we have God's Ebenezer. Think about 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He is faithful and he will do it. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's going to complete the work in you regardless of what is here. 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive 
and make it obedient to Christ. Again, it's right here. We also have the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Paul tells this to the church at Ephesus because they were, they were losing it a little bit. And he said, you have an armor. God has equipped you with defensive weapons, with a shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. And he says, you need to strap on your armor to live that Ebenezer life because this is going to suck you in every time. And we have this offensive weapon of God's word, and it has to ground us. So we've talked about what Ebenezer looking, Ebenezer living looks like, but we want to end with the why. Why do we want to live an Ebenezer life? Why? Well, two things. One is that we use our Ebenezer's as a fountain of hope. Just like I talked about earlier, that is where our hope is grounded. If we're not living an Ebenezer life, we aren't looking towards hope. I'll tell you, the past couple years of transitioning from full-time vocational ministry to full-time health care of my own has been a mental battle like none other. And let me tell you the hardest thing about it is it has been a hope sucker. It has been the, the arena for Satan to say, you don't have any hope. Your life stinks. This is not fair. All the things. But my Ebenezer's, that's where the fountain of hope comes. We have to revisit our stones. I have to keep going back and counting these and revisiting what God has done and believe that he's not stopped. He's not going to just not do any more. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We often place our hope in an outcome, in our bills getting paid, in a, a medical diagnosis going away. We, we start praying, getting hope in the certain outcome. We have to put our hope in God alone, in his faithfulness, because let me tell you, you can't worry your way to hope, but you can Ebenezer your way there. Yeah, yeah our Ebenezers are a foundation of hope. And there's a second reason why Ebenezer living is so important. And to explore that, I want us to return to the story of Jacob. See, after Jacob built that Masabah, he went off and did a whole lot of living. He did like 20 to 30 years of living, and he was not always faithful. But you know what? God was always faithful. God kept his promise to be with Jacob wherever he went. And at some point, God tells Jacob, Jacob, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to that place where you built that Masaba, and I want you to build me an altar. And so listen to what Jacob tells his family, because at this point now, he's got 11 kids. He's got a big family. And he says, um, God says to Jacob in Genesis 35, 3, we must go up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to the God who answered me in my day of distress. He has been with me everywhere I have gone. Jacob realizes that God has been faithful, and he tells his family, we must go back to the place where it all began. We have to go back and mark God's faithfulness. See, I think that Ebenezer living 
not only gives us a foundation of hope, but we use it to impact future generations. We use it to testify to those who come behind us. You know, when life gets hard for our kids, and when I say our kids, I talk about, like, my own kids, but really I'm talking about our kids. I'm talking about as a church, when, when our kids are growing up and the world wants to tell them that God isn't real or that God isn't strong or that God doesn't love them, and they're struggling to build their Ebenezers, we want them to be able to look at mom, to look at dad, to look at us and say, God has been faithful And if God has been faithful to them, I know God is going to be faithful to me. We use our Ebenezers to testify to those who come behind us. Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9 says these words, and it's in reference to some commands um, that were just given. But these words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What a beautiful thing to be able to pass on our Ebenezer living to our children. Now, when Melinda and I were starting to talk about um, the topic for this talk and she was sharing with me about her Ebenezer jar, I wanted to start a tradition in my family um, to do Ebenezer living well and to to be a little more systematic in the way that we do that. And so um, I started the uh, Ebenezer tree, the Naylor Ebenezer tree, and there should be a picture that will come up in a moment. There it is. Um, And of course, you know, I love color, so I had to paint the rocks first. Um, But what we do uh, periodically, and this is a fairly new tradition for us, is we gather as a family and we just, we ask the kids and we say, where have you seen God provide for you this week? Um, and then as, you know, Sean and I, we also write on a rock and we think about the ways that God has provided. And, you know, throughout the week, if something were to happen, something big, you know, something that the kids are like, wow, this um, thing happened at school, you know, I want to be able to redirect them to see that not just as a cool thing, but like as an Ebenezer moment. So let's go to the rocks, let's get out the pen and let's write on it. And my hope is, is that as the kids get older and life gets hard and they are wrestling with their faith, we can go out to our Ebenezer tree and say, look, God has been faithful. Because we have a choice. We can fixate on our circumstances and let them consume us. Or we can choose, intentionally choose, to revisit our Ebenezers, which are our foundation of hope, and testify to those who come behind us. Uh, man, I get emotional just thinking about, I want an Ebenezer. There's going to be a Mimi as Ebenezer tree. It's already formulating in my head. Um, Ebenezer living is about God living. It's about living in gratitude. And I know that some days that is the hardest thing to do. If you're spiraling today in the noise of negativity... And, and weighed down here, we would invite you to raise an Ebenezer. If you're overwhelmed in isolation, in loneliness, and not knowing what the future is going to hold, we would invite you to raise an Ebenezer. 
If you're trying to worry a situation to death or you're stuck in complacency, raise an Ebenezer. As the song says, I will build an altar. I'll stack it stone by stone. Because every Ebenezer says, I've never been alone. My faith will surely falter. That doesn't change what he's done because every Ebenezer points to where my help comes from. Would you pray with me? God, we have a decision every day of where to stack our stones. Will we stack it on circumstance and the everyday life? Or will we, God, will we choose to stack it in faith, in gratitude, in thankfulness, believing in hope that you are going to be the same faithful God? Will we do that, God, in a way that will impact those around us? God, teach us. Teach us to live an Ebenezer life. Because an Ebenezer life is a life of worship. It's a life that points to the only one that our life should point to. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As the band comes up, we just want to give you a couple of things to work on this week. And the first one is quite simple. Raise an Ebenezer. Take that stone with you today and and mark it in the moment. Tell somebody today what your Ebenezer is. And identify one thing you can do to better cultivate an Ebenezer mindset. Is it being more present throughout the day with God? Is it showing gratitude? Is it um, seeking surrender? What do you need to do to better cultivate an Ebenezer mindset? And also, identify one circumstance you tend to fixate upon and think about what scheme is Satan using to tempt you to fixate on that? And then, and then lastly, because <laughs> we're both teachers, develop a plan. You need a plan to raise your Ebenezers, whether it's a tree or a jar or a journal, some sort of plan to go, I'm going to leave here today and I'm going to start living an Ebenezer life. And then, and then guard your Ebenezers with the things that we talked about with um, overcoming Satan's schemes and, and those things. Have a plan. And I think it's incredible today that right now we can end our Ebenezer life of worship talk by singing our worship to him today. Would you, would you stand and let, let's, let's punctuate this message in worship. <laughs>